welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. It's great that you could join us for this conversation with Katie Seek. Katie is an Associate Professor in Informatics at Indiana University in the US. As ever, there's so much in this discussion. Katie shares her experience as being part of a dual career couple and has some really great advice for faculties on how to better handle this. She talks about the challenges having children and what she learned to do very differently from her first to her second child, especially in giving herself permission to take proper time off. We talk about her passion for mentoring, especially women and first-generation college students, that's been recognised by a special mentor award, and how she's learning how to lobby upwards so that she can affect policy change. She talks about building a research group, and here, listen out for the wall-sit challenge. You may be inspired to do something similar. And we finish up with Katie telling a very personal story of dealing with what is essentially an invisible illness at work. And she calls for us all to have much more open and honest discussions about these sorts of issues and also to be there for one another to support and be advocates for people who are in these situations and needing help. Enjoy it. Katie, thanks for your time today. And can you just give us a little bit of background to give people some context for where you're coming from? Sure. So my name is Katie Seek. I'm an associate professor in the School of Informatics, Computing and Engineering at Indiana University. I'm a first-generation college student. So I'm the first one in my family to go to college. When I was in graduate school, I... In the United States, I was really interested in scientific computing and and the networking, uh, computer networking. And then my mom got sick with cancer. And so I went back to graduate school and I said, I want to do do, um, healthcare and computing. And my advisors at the time were really supportive, but they said, we do do supercomputing. We're not really interested in that. So they helped me find a new advisor. And since then I have been able to do computing and healthcare and looking at how we can empower everyday people, especially those who are understudied and underserved to improve their health here in the United States. So it's really interesting the way that that personal experience with your mother focused some intention to do something that made a difference for people like her. Yes. Yeah, I I came back. um, So in my graduate studies, I had to take some time off. I took a summer off to go take care of her. Yeah. Really, it was really fast. She went from she went from um, finding out she had cancer on Halloween on October thirty first, and then passing away in July. And so I took that summer off and um, to help my family. And when I was in the hospital, I was just amazed because my mom was going in and out of care, and I was amazed at how many questions could not be answered for us. So yeah. that's what I've kind of been motivated. One of the Triggers, though, for me is that my mom had cancer, but I don't work in cancer. I, it's a little too close. I can't do it. Mm, mm, yeah. That must have been tough breaking the studies as well. Breaking the studies? or To, to take time off to care for her. 
Oh, yes. It, well, fortunately, um, I, at that time, I was doing scientific computing research. Um, so there aren't many user studies involved <laughs> in yeah. scientific computing. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't until I came back that I said I wanted to change over. But I went from a completely different area. So I had all the, um, fortunately, Yvonne Rogers was here in Indiana at the time. And so I met with Yvonne Rogers and she was Yes, here's how we're going to do it. You're going to meet some nurses, you're going to meet some doctors, you're going to figure out who you want to work with, and then you're going, and then we're going to read through all this literature and you're going to do user studies. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I kind of, in my graduate studies, I made a complete turn um, <laughs> in the middle. Wow. You did, you did your undergraduate degree and your PhD at, at Indiana, and you, you're back there now. Yeah, I did my undergrad at a small liberal arts college in okay. Petersburg, Florida, uh, called Eckerd College. Then I did my graduate work. I I also had a little bit of a juggling graduate work. I spent two years at Notre Dame, and then I spent uh, four years in Indiana, and then I went to I went to University of Colorado, where I was a professor for seven years, and then I came back um, to Indiana. Mm. The, the dean at the time, Bobby Schnabel, was really interested in growing health informatics at Indiana, which made me super excited because there wasn't health informatics until um, my, myself and my advisor started working in it, and now he wanted to expand it. So the other part is I'm a part of a dual-career couple, so my husband is in programming languages, and the dean was also interested in expanding programming languages, so they gave us an offer that we couldn't, we couldn't refuse to come back and really work on our mm. passions like each of us got to have a group of passionate colleagues that's that's amazing so can you talk a little bit more about being part of a dual career couple because when you're both in in academia and both in the same faculties this sounds like an incredibly rare and amazing opportunity to have had yes it's 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 um i like to call it um, yeah, dual, a dual career opportunity, like you're mentioning, is that a dual uh, two-body two problem? It's a two-body opportunity because mm. because um, as much as people don't think of it that way or don't phrase it that way, it's really great to have your partner who's committed and passionate about the areas and understands your struggles and such. So I really like that part of it. The difficult part is um, getting a, getting two positions in the same place where you're both happy. There's not many, there's not many um, universities out there that can say they do have a great health informatics and a great programming language group. So that's a yeah. struggle. Yeah. When we were at Colorado, I was hired as tenure track and my husband was hired as a research faculty position. And that was a, an amazing struggle. Um, you know, it, it, and it's hard to be supportive. Being a junior faculty is difficult and being a research faculty is difficult. So I, we mm. got to see that perspective. You know, I would come home and be like, oh, I have so many grants and papers. And you're like, well, at least <laughs> at least your tenure track, right? Like all this goes to something. And and then he would come back and say, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Like, It's really difficult. So we fortunately have really good mentors. So in that year... I was tenure track. I got pregnant with my first child. I don't know if I'd recommend that, but <laughs> and um, my my partner was a re uh, my husband was a research faculty, which meant he got a, a an office and a title, <laughs> and then he had to go out and get money and and volunteer to teach. And what our mentors told us 
was that you have to go out on the market. <laughs> you have to go on the market immediately um, because at, at Colorado, some people had told us, oh, well, once Katie gets tenure, we'll consider you. Um, but our mentors were like, okay, worst case scenario, if Katie doesn't get tenure, then you've been a research faculty for seven years. No one's mm -hmm. going to hire you. So we went on the market that year. Uh, and I, I, I interviewed seven or eight months pregnant. At one point, one of my interviews, I was supposed to be on bed rest. I had to ask, I had to schedule my, my interview so everybody walked to me because um, my, I was so swollen. And uh, we got two offers from two, uh, we, got, we got two offers from two different institutions. Like, so we were both like, we, we, um, we had positions there. We went to Colorado and we said, we don't want to go, but we have two opportunities for both of us to be tenure track. And so uh, I was on bed rest again um, at that moment in time, and I really did not want to move. And um, they, Colorado came back and, and hired my husband into electrical engineering. So I was in computer science. And my husband was in electrical engineering. So that was a tenure track position that he got then. Tenure track okay. position there, yeah. But you had to go through all that to come back to say, look, do you want to keep us or not? Right. Yeah, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I, no. The other thing is, and I've been dealing with this here, helping um, fellow colleagues out, is maybe people mean that maybe people say things and they mean it in a good way. So um, one colleague, uh, and I won't forget this, it was, on, um, it was on Valentine's Day, February 14th. One colleague apparently walked into my husband's office and said, um, you just have to walk on water for the next five years and we'll consider a tenure track position for you. Never able to, to, um, to get over that. Like the idea of walking on, like walking on water is pretty, pretty tall order. Yeah. Um, and then um, people would say to me, once they hired my husband, Colorado has a re had a really great dual career, um, dual career policy. It really top of the line. Now that I'm at Indiana, I'm like, wow, that was a good policy. <laughs> Colorado at the time, the university paid half of a tenure track position and then each unit paid a quarter. So your spouse, the unit got your spouse for a quarter of a tenure line. But then colleagues would say to me, um, we're paying one and a quarter tenure lines for you. Like, are you worth it? Mm. So that puts pressure on you as well. <laughs> that would put pressure on 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 me and, and it's certain some of these discussions shouldn't really get out to you know like there's administrators and then yeah <laughs> certain conversations really shouldn't um shouldn't get out uh when the dean at indiana came uh to to visit us he came to boulder to he raked our leaves for us he raked a big pile of leaves for my um five-year-old to play in while he was telling us about all the big things they were planning to do at Indiana. And we were like, great. And my husband, I remember my husband was saying, you know, they want both of us. Like, it's not like they want you and I'm long. Yeah. They, they really yeah. want both of us. And so, um, and so I was like, okay, like you can't, when you're not treated properly, like even if you're going after a dual career couple, if you really want them, then go after both of them. Don't and go after them with the with the funding. Don't don't make one feel trailing or yeah. That was a that was a big influence in coming. The the idea that we would have a community of people to work with and 
They want both of us. I think there needs to be more training because last year, my husband was talking to a to a colleague, and the colleague said to him, "Well, you were you were our diversity spousal hire." And my husband was like, "No, no, that's not true." The dean came and saw both of us, and then he went to another colleague, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Bobby said he'd give it give you us um, he'd give you to us for free if um, you know if we could get Katie back to to help with health informatics. He's in the, in my, in, but his senior colleague was like, but we're so excited you're here. And my husband was back in um, a position of like, yeah, of that. So yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I, re, I love having a spouse who understands everything, but um, this emotional part and people, I don't know why people are saying this. Is it to, to I'm not sure why anybody would want to know there's a special mm. accommodation for you. So yeah, that's a hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always hard, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, that someone is paying across whatever the price is of trying to get tenure and build up a, a research group, research career, having this layer on top just adds incredible emotional work. Yes. I've been working um, here in Indiana. So we, Indiana does not have the same support that Colorado did for a spousal hire. They don't have that, you know, the other unit pays a quarter, um, which I think is a great policy. Um, So they don't have that. And I've been really passionate about like, hey, if we want them, let's get them both, you know, and make the offers at the same time so we show that they want them. Don't make them work. Don't make them, you know, go out and get other offers because they may go or, They'll never recover from that emotionally. And the first time a good offer comes their way, they're going to leave and then we're going to be out a lot of resources. Yep. Yep. And having to restart. Yeah. And so, but I think academia is in a transition and I hope it continues transitioning uh, to it. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's tough, that situation. Right. But I, I, I've been really passionate about standing up, um, and talking to administrators and mentioning it wherever I can to say that, yeah, go after both people and don't make them go through these things. And certain things, certain decisions are made at the administrative level and should stay there and not trickle down. (laughs) Because it probably doesn't detract from the fact that they genuinely did want him, that he did contribute in a positive way. Right. They had, they had strategic plans. They have a, we have one of the largest um, programming language groups and health informatics groups in the country. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> mm, yeah. It shouldn't be a barrier to make a, dis, a, a, a I don't, I'm not sure where the laws are around the world, but in the United States, it's, you're, you're not supposed to ask certain questions. Yes. In a community like Kai, it's small enough that you know who's dating who or who has a partner and these should not influence anybody. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned having your first baby when you were sort of you know, in those earlier days, but can you reflect on the having kids and going through all of this as well, just to add complications and work and layers of pressure? I think having uh, kids helped my research and it also helped balance me out. So I was so fortunate to have Aspen, my first child, in my first year. So, but just it was just interesting that you said before you're not sure that you would advise it, and now and you're saying you're so fortunate. So, yeah. Well, reflecting wise, I yeah. think I'm. 
I think it's fortunate. She helped me learn a lot of things that I would have written in a Kai discussion section and a reviewer would have been like, everybody knows this. You know, like, I mean, I went into my, my research when I was pregnant, I was starting up collaborations and I was working with low socioeconomic status families. And I was talking to, to mothers and single caregivers and grandmothers. And they're like, my kids just won't eat vegetables. I'm like, why not? You know, you just put them in front of them and your child will eat them. Uh, and then I had my first child. <laughs> I wish, I wish, I'm like, this is healthy for you. She doesn't care. <laughs> she's a great eater. You know, she's, she's a great eater. But yeah, she, so it helped my research be like, oh, you're right. This is harder than I thought it was. Um, it got me out of the algorithmic thinking. Um, and the other thing is in terms of balance, you know, my, our kids right now are like, you two are always talking about work. And so it's like, oh, right. Maybe we should have some other discussion at the dinner table. Like, they don't, you know, and, and they don't care you you got a paper rejected they want you to play like yeah yeah so yeah but in terms of um yeah maybe not rec recommending it it's in our first year interviewing while you're pregnant like i'm clearly i'm clearly very pregnant you, you know what you're getting on an interview with me um so it's my first year Instead of writing papers and grants, I'm working on, well, I did those too, but I was also working on applications to get a position elsewhere, also trying to figure out teaching, going to, trying to find a doctor, because now all of a sudden I have to get some healthcare and figure out what hospital and um, get a house. I mean, you don't have to get a house, but just all these little mm -hmm. things. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was, um, you know, I think, in a sense, I'm not sure which it is because I've seen initially I was like, wow, having a child kind of stalled me for like two, <laughs> two years going into my tenure track. You know, I wasn't being as productive as I could have been. Um, but it's also, I think, the, the issue of um, doing the dual career um, part that makes that also slows you down. Like you, you could be writing a grant mm -hmm. you're writing a cover letter. <laughs> be writing a paper instead you're tweaking your teaching to show how you fit this <laughs> this area that they want to that they want to hire in so yeah it was it was difficult and then showing that i could um be a contributor to my to my community by showing up to events so traveling with a baby paying for childcare to come with you so you can travel with a baby so there's a lot of um a lot of balancing there yeah yeah, and I do remember you coming along to conferences, you know, with your baby and with childcare and just being in awe of how you manage that process. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's, um, it was, yeah, it's, it's kind of me in the moment. Yeah, I would come home and be like, well, I was at that meeting, but every coffee break, I was running to a hotel room to nurse my baby or running to a corner to, to, to nurse my child or see my child and not going to dinner at night to, <laughs> with my child. And, and also give, you know, the people who are helping with, with childcare some much needed time to recover. But I didn't realize until you know, the last few years with, the next, the next generation of women who are having children, like, oh, I saw you at the conferences. I saw you nursing your baby. I, I knew this was possible. And one person said, I think you lied. You made it look easy, but, but this is hard. And like, yeah, I mean, I don't, 
I don't remember anybody asking me how hard it was, but it's difficult, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you'd do differently now that you, you know, looking back on it with the wisdom of hindsight? Yes. So one thing I, I would really recommend is my, um, so whatever kind of time off you get, um, take it. And really do it correctly. Don't think of it as a time of teaching and an internal service release. Like, do it correctly. <laughs> family leave. Like, if you need family leave, maybe it's adopting a child. Maybe it's a sick loved one. Well, do it correctly. Otherwise, the stress just layers on. So for my first child, I was not, I did not work there long enough. So I, I had not worked there for a year yet. So I did not, um, I did not qualify for any leave. I got, um, I had to use my vacation and sick leave. And since I pushed it too much, since I was interviewing while pregnant, um, I was on bed rest for 10 days um, before I gave birth to my child, which meant I was only, I only had three days left of my leave. Um, That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And the other part um, I would encourage all my colleagues to do is to not to not propagate the the you know I don't know Amazon warrior woman myth. So everybody in my school at the time, my my first child talked about the professor who checked herself out at the hospital and got into the lab that same night, and then I became part of that lore because I was in I was in the lab three days later because I had a new grad student starting a new grant starting up. I couldn't sit down. I was exhausted. I had, I still hadn't mastered nursing her yet. So Katie, this is your first baby and you were back in the lab at three days. Yeah, but this is not an okay thing because, um, yeah, don't do that because, and the other thing was since my husband just got a tenure track job, yeah, wanted to show he belonged. So he did not take leave. Uh, he wanted to prove the, you know, he was worth it. So he was just like, got to write grants, got to write grants, got to get papers, got to show them I'm worth it. And um, I'm so thankful our first child was pretty easy. She was very sweet. Um, she, she, um, my husband and I kept her, we had a child, we had, we hired someone to help care for her. And we had her, um, we had, I had part of my office, the baby stuff and I'd come out and meet with my students and he had part of his office. And sometimes I could hear her screaming. <laughs> uh, this is, we didn't have childcare initially. Like you can't really get childcare here for six weeks, but I could hear her hungry crying and I would just start, um, my body would just start reacting as I'm meeting with the student and he'd be running down the hall with her. Um, so we could do a handoff. We did half day handoffs until she was six weeks old and we could get childcare help. <laughs> wow. That's the first one. So part, some of that is structural though, isn't it? You know, the fact that you only had three days sick leave left, mm-hmm. the, 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 the structures and processes and policies in place made it difficult to make any other decision. Yes. Yes. And, and that was, and we, you know, we didn't live near family. We don't, we still don't live near family. Uh, so yeah, that was, Part of it is the process, and that's why I was inside that I'm in the United States because I know it's different <laughs> all around yeah. the world. Thankfully. Yes. So that was my first child, and that was so hard. And then with my second child, I was so thankful. The, my husband's chair in electrical engineering, who didn't have children, 
but under, but totally, you know, was a human being. He said, Hey, I remember you after the last year, you know, like when my child turned one, I was just a mess. I, you know, I, I was a real mess. You must've been shattered, totally shattered. And exhausted. And he said, I remember seeing you, you know, after your first child. And now five years later, I was pregnant with my second. And he said, I hope you do it right. And don't be afraid to do it right. I will speak up for you. And to have um, a colleague, especially a male colleague in engineering saying, you know, do it right and I'll speak up for you. That made me feel so strong and so willing to, to try it. And then he had the same conversation with my husband. So my husband was like, oh, we're, we're, we're both going to take leave. And we did it so that I took leave for one, one semester. He took leave for the second semester. And by then she was six months old. So she was all okay with bottle being and being with daddy. And it was, um, it was amazing. And also our children, you can see it in our children, right? Like my second child will go to, go to my husband or myself and my first child will come to me Yeah, in that relationship too. But I really appreciated um, having someone say, yeah. do it right. <laughs> so even just seeing your body language there while you were talking about it, you visibly, you could almost sort of visibly see you relax down when you talked about the fact that you took time off. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it was really great. You know, I, I have like, I mean, it wasn't like, I had my, st my students would come visit me um at my house and we'd talk about peepers and their study to keep them going but uh, and i and i was part of the chi pc that year yeah but and i did do wish but other than that that was <laughs> all i did so it, again just looking back and with the benefit of hindsight would you even would you choose to do those things again so that that, that was doing program committee meeting and organizing sort of a small workshop in that yeah, I think so. I think I would still do it, even though it was difficult. I would do it because it still let people know I was, I was there, still yeah. participating, and it yeah. gave me also that, that face, uh, that that like face to face, which yeah. I think the new Kai PC setup with going virtual um, gives you the ability to do it at home, but it also eliminates that face to face. Yeah. Just for clarification, the, the Kai PC Kaiser Conference, the program committee meeting this year is going virtual because it's a really big uh, conference and this is our first trial. So, yeah, so that trade-off between losing the face-to-face -face and the visibility. Right. I think as a junior, as a junior faculty member, and I think this is also, you know, as you mentioned, structural, right? We rely on letters, we rely on, uh, we rely on people knowing about your work. So it requires that face-to-face. -face. So structurally, there could be a whole trickle-down effect to say, how much, how much is this worth it? How should we look at scholarship? So it trickles all the way down. Mm. Well, we're still trying to do things that enable some contact and people connecting virtually, but it will definitely be different. So one of the arguments for that is that it increases diversity, though, because it means that people who might have a young baby at home doesn't have to find a babysitter to come with them and they can still participate if they want to, or people who don't have budgets to travel. I mean, how do you see? So I think it all depends on how your home life works. 
if it's outside of normal work hours, my family has a hard time understanding that, that I'm not really there. I find it actually harder um, to be physically home for a meeting like this because I'm still, ex so I, and some of it is my issues. I, I have a hobby I love to cook, so I'm still mm -hmm. cooking dinner. Um, there's, there's text messages from my spouse asking, am I picking up the kids? Are you picking up the kids? Uh, are you taking her to pee? Like there was this one meeting I was at for a federal funding agency where I said, oh, my child's in the Nutcracker Ballet. I want to see her on opening night. So I'll, I'll call remotely. And here they are texting me like, hey, are you, can you call in to talk to, about this grant? And I'm currently hairspraying a bun. <laughs> Spraying a bun and getting angel costumes ready, and I'm like, right, this grant, and it's, it's my, and finally I was like, okay, you're good. I have to go because my colleague, you know, it's not like my colleague. I don't really know this person. But mm. I have to give them the respect that their grant is due. So, um, so part of it would be, like, I don't have to go, but at least when I do go, I get to focus completely on this work, yeah. and when it's over. I just have one child <laughs> to deal, to deal with. Um, I don't, I'm not expected home. I'm not expected to cook. I'm not expected to help with bedtime. And also my children see me. So they know, they know I'm there. Yeah. I'm just ignoring them for. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's different dynamics. Yeah. So yeah. I think, it, I think it will be interesting to see how it improves diversity and or exhausts people. <laughs> mm. Yeah. The yeah. new type of, of load. Yeah. But I do see environmentally and, and, and financially how this yeah. has to happen. Yeah. Do, do you have any strategies? You, know, you said before about your daughter saying, you, know, you two stop talking work at home. Do you have any sort of strategies for managing those sorts of transitions between work and home, especially when you're both working in the same area? Uh, yeah, so I think what we do is we start talking. We let them so at dinner conversations, we all have dinner together. We let them start about how their day is, what's the most exciting thing that happened today, or what's something they're interested in. And a lot of times they're interested in things that they hear, especially in the United States right now, um, different political things they hear, mm -hmm. or I'll mention to them, oh, on yesterday, yesterday I mentioned to my girls, oh, we're going to wear black today. I mean, you don't have to wear black, but we're, but uh, mommy's going to wear black. And they're like, well, why are you going to wear black? And I explained to them why we're going to wear black. And my six-year-old was like, oh, I need to make a poster too. You know, I'm going <laughs> to protest this. And uh, so um, they're, they're becoming more and more interested in the world around them. My, my older daughter will read signs around our community. And then my younger daughter has lots of questions. So uh, the other thing we do too right now, I'm not. Sure, we were we were nervous to do it pre-tenure, but post-tenure, we're doing it. So my husband and I, um, we trade off. So one of them, one of us is responsible for bringing them to school, and one of us is responsible for bringing them home. Mm -hmm. So we shift our day. So some of us, one of us at some time will work from seven. Um, seven to three, and the other one of us will work from 9.30 to 5.30. Uh, so we spend more time with our girls. That's nice. But what was the issue with doing it before tenure, that you didn't feel comfortable to do this? Because it sounds like you had thought about it but actively decided not to. So, in t you know, part of 
part of um, selecting someone to be a lifelong colleague is to make sure like they're there and they, I guess we're kind of bait and switching, but oh well. Um, but they're a lifelong colleague, they're a good colleague, they're gonna show up, they're going to participate. And we're still participating. It's in a different way. So maybe I should advocate. This is a good, this is a good question. I should advocate for this more. Um, so because I'm still participating in, and um, I'm still a great colleague. I just have a shifted schedule. Mm -hmm. um, so we were scared. We were concerned about doing it before because we were, you know, if, if colloquium's at four, you have to be there at colloquium at four. And if the, if the, if the, um, if the departmental meeting is at five, you have to be there at five. So our oldest was in childcare. We would drop her off at probably like eight and pick her up around six. She mm -hmm. had a long, she had a long childcare. Mm -hmm. And whereas my second child, we had her suit, like we had, we had her and then we decided thanks to that colleague, we we're going to do it right. So she was a baby when we were um, just getting tenure. So she has a totally different perspective of, of how we interact. With them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting how those processes influence all these other decisions. Right. But I, I think this is a good reflection. It's telling, it's reminding me like, you know, you said when you were a junior faculty member, you wish you had someone to fight for that. So yeah, I, that's my that's my new thing, I guess, now, Geraldine. You, you heard it here. So, so you've said a few things that indicate that you really are prepared to go in and fight for things that you believe in. And your daughter, your eldest daughter, has clearly picked up on that with her going and making her poster. And I, I see that you got a special mentor award as well um, last year at, or this year at this year or last year. Um, I got it at this at, in the spring, so this technically this year, but yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I was awarded um, for our uh, women in in computing group here on campus. It's more broadly interpreted. Um, it's supposed to be for all women in technology, so not just computer science. Even if you use technology, you even excel or R, or you're interested in computational thinking or design. They're all included. So mm -hmm. yeah, I was I was um, I received that award for my mentoring of students. I'm really passionate about undergrad research. Really passionate about helping first generation college students like my like myself navigate through undergrad. Um, hopefully, think, consider graduate school or research careers. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really I, I invest a lot of time in in those endeavors. Yeah. So that's a choice because it is time that's in addition to all of your day work, if you like, your teaching and research. Yes, it's it's definitely yes, it's definitely um, I'll, it's definitely adding more time. Um, I spend a lot more time on it now in the summertime. So I have a ten-week uh, research experience for undergraduate site. I teach in the summer. Um, I don't have to, but. It's a really intensive six-week course I teach to first-generation college students to get them interested in computing, interested in design, and I sprinkle in, you know, here's what we mean when we say this, or in, <laughs> or in college, this is what office hours are for. Um, and then with the diversity work, I kind of do it all the time, um, and I find, you know, I, I mentioned, like, my husband and I have these shifted hours, so we're working eight hour days, but then after we put the kids to sleep, you know, we're working two or three or four more hours. So 
typically I'll do two or three hours after the kids go to bed and I'll add on one more half hour, one more hour um, for the diversity work I'm doing. So. so it's obviously important to you enough that you will do that. It is. It's incredibly important to me. And I, um, yeah, I, it helps me breathe. So um, when I walk around in computing, uh, I just, when I was younger, I just assumed this is part of it. I'm the only woman in my class and that's it. Um, I'm the only, you know, even my, my, my mentor at the time said to me, um, said to me, Oh, you, you know, I am so glad you want to be a computer scientist. We haven't had one in five years. Um, <laughs> and I was, and I went to grad school at Nerdim and I was one of the, I was the only sing, <laughs> I was the only single American uh, graduate student at the time. Um, and it's really lonely. And the design, the ideas that come from it are not um, as applicable to everybody. And so I think computing, I think we need to do it. We need to do it for democracy. We need to do it for our country and the world. Just to yeah. diversify and get everybody's views in there. That's this is what I'm doing for it. So this is your passion work. This is my, this is, outside of like my research where I get to do my passion work in health. Yeah. This is, this is my additional passion work. Yeah. Pretty yeah. lucky. I get to do everything as a passion. Sometimes I talk to people and like, Oh, I love my research. I'm like, me too. I want to work on it all the time and help them yesterday. And they're like, Oh, I didn't mean like that. I meant like I get cool results and get to tinker. And I'm like, Oh, right. That too. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. Given all of your commitments and family and everything and adding on this extra work, how do you do that in a way that's efficient and effective in limited time? What have you, what have you learned over the years from doing that? <laughs> um, learning over the years. So I think one of the things is collaboration. So collaboration is mm -hmm. always important and finding those really good collaborators. Sometimes you have to give people a chance and then you have to have a plan to recover in case some people don't quite um, meet meet your quality markers, and my quality markers are 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 high. Yes, people say too high, but I say high. Um, so you have to be you know planning the time. So part of it is starting to think about what you want to be part of, right? So I'm really kind of narrow down your focus. You can't do everything. You can't go speak at every diversity and computing event. I tried to do that. It's exhausting. Uh -huh. um, so you have to pick a couple of, of diversity and computing events, a couple of um, service commitments. So narrow it down, find collaborators, identify who's really fun to work with, and then um, and then go from go from there. I know some people say prioritizing. I have a hard time prioritizing. Everything's number one. So. Mm. <laughs> yes. But you, it sounds like you are doing something, though, when you say that you can't do everything and you have to choose. It sounds like that there would be some strategic choice in deciding which events you do go to speak at, which is a form of prioritizing, would you say? That is true. That is true. So um, part of my prioritizing, um, I, I read the research pretty much, uh, like especially with diversity and computing, like who do I need to speak to? And, uh, you know, research is showing speaking to students and young, young people is, is good and it's valuable, but also getting to their parents and their counselors and their teachers, because those are the people, they're going to come home and say, I heard about computing. And yes. their parents yeah. are going to be like, this is my opinion on it. So getting there. 
Um, and then for um, service for the Kai community, you know, part of it when you um, part of it for the Kai community is again, who can I work with? Who can see what I can do? Who can I? Who can I? Who can I give a voice to that maybe doesn't have a voice in this community? Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. And then the other part is, instead of saying no, I'm always saying, oh, these people would be good for that. And then, if, depending on, and then I'll contact those people to see if they really are interested in that and try to help them figure out where they can go and mm -hmm. helping other people out too. So you advocate a lot in in those sorts of ways. For, for both marginalized groups as well as for other people and being bringing other people in and bringing them along. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> yeah. You also talked about um, lobbying upwards. So some of this that you've talked about is more um, supporting students, vendors bringing people in, but you also talked about lobbying for policy change and things and that that requires a different set of skills and strategies yeah and i'm learning those I, 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 i'm i'm not great at those yet i'm i'm a work in progress in those uh, i think part of it is just um there's a I, i'm a big fan of david sedaris and he has this book called me talk pretty one day say that name of the book again oh um me talk pretty one day uh-huh. <laughs> and sometimes when I'm speaking, I feel like, oh, I'm not saying this beautifully. I'm not saying this like an academic. I'm just saying this as here's the problem, here's the solution, or here are possible solutions. Um so I've been getting involved. I I tried to talk to we had a change in leadership. I didn't know how important a dean was until we got a new dean. Uh so um so what I found out is Fortunately, there are conferences I've attended, such as Grace Hopper, where they have these workshops that talk about how to make change in your university through policy. So I was trying to talk to an administration in my own school, and I didn't think I was getting anywhere. So then I went to this workshop, and they gave me these actionable things, you know, like, oh, and it was more service. But I was like, get involved in your Bloomington, get involved in your faculty council. See if you can create policy at the university level that you're that your institution, that your school has to abide by. So that's my, that's my current um, plan and it's going better. Mm -hmm. so the other, but I'm still working on speaking diplomatically. I'm not the most diplomatic <laughs> person. Uh, so I'm, I'm working on that. Like most recently, a high administrator in our, our university, was like, you are so passionate. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> And she said, and you have a way of saying concepts so efficiently. And I was like, uh, thank you. You may want to think about how to say it efficiently without offending a quarter of the group. And I was like, okay, thank you very much for that feedback. Um, so that's my goal. Mm -hmm. Say things more efficiently without offending people. Do you have any strategies for how you're going to learn that? <laughs> I'm gonna. I yes. So, um, again, having a have, my partner is has been great. Um, my partner, my husband, has helped me. Um, we we. I'll tell him what's really upsetting me, and he'll say, "Well, you can't go in and say that." <laughs> and so then I'll try it another way. And you know, he did debate and everything. So I kind of bounce ideas off of him, and he's like, "This is 
I wouldn't recommend saying that way. And then um, my colleague, she was my PhD advisor. Now she's my colleague, Kay Conley. Uh, she, I, someone called her my interpreter. <laughs> I'll say something. <laughs> and then Kay was like, well, Katie was meaning this and I'll take notes. I take notes on how my husband or how Kay is saying things. Also, like in meetings, I'll take notes on how people are saying it. And it's almost like breaking it down, like abstracting from it, you know, yeah. like a dramatic level, like, yeah. down, but more like, like, okay, something you like and ask a question that yeah. is the issue instead of just going, this is broken. Yeah. 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 So there are a whole lot of different techniques, aren't there? And some people are really good at doing it off the bat. And for you, it sounds like, you know, you're passionate about these issues and you want the outcome and just learning how to get there, get you know, to actually achieve what you want to, the difference you want to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so I'm working. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm modeling. I'm looking at other people <laughs> taking notes on how they do it. So, and all, ad all additional work as well. Yes. I, and the, I think the nice thing though, is once I learn something like this, I'll bring it up in a class or I'll show it to my grad students. Like then it kind of does that reaffirming. So my first generation, the first generation college students I work with, um, they were like, wow, yeah, I would just say that that is effed up or I would say that, you know, they got to change. This is how we have to do it. <laughs> so, so, so it's sort of like, how do you play the game? How do you play the game? And yeah, how do you play the game? And how do you work with people and ways, you know, how do you work with what we know about how to influence people, sell ideas and get people to buy in? Because that's what you're needing, isn't it? Because if you said that it was about alienating a quarter of the people in the room, you know, you it's how do you buy them into you know, being as excited about your issues as you are? Yeah. Or believing in the problem as importance of the problem. Yes. I, I mostly turn to data, but sometimes I'll go and bring in that, that case study too, because that quality yeah. data attaches to people more sometimes than quantitative data. Yes. Yeah. People, people connect with a story. Yeah. If I'm really at a loss, I'll, I'll message um, Judy Olson, who will say, well, Katie, that's not going to get you anywhere. So is this, um, is Judy a mentor then for you? Um, She's not like a formal mentor, but I do mm. sometimes, I'll, I'll sometimes ping her and ask her for assistance or not assistance, but ask her for her insights. So it's someone who's, who, whose opinion I, I, um, I really appreciate. Yeah. And she'll, and she gives great feedbacks. Yeah. So like, I'll put a link to Judy cause she, like one of the early podcasts was with her and she's just wonderful. And so, so that's just interesting, sort of identifying people who you do respect, who you do feel comfortable with going and being real with and just saying, you know, tell me, give me feedback. Yeah, I, there are quite a few women. So Judy, you're, in terms of like a career, um, like uh, she's not necessarily a career mentor, but she's more like someone I can go to and she does respond. So I really appreciate that. I have a lot of um, career mentors who I also um, occasionally bounce these ideas or questions off of, but mostly kind of career trajectory and mm. next kind of things. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. So you have a group that you've set up there. You know, you said you have a big health informatics group. Tell us about the wall sits. 
<laughs> the wall sits. Yes. So when um, it, it came from when I was an intern, I was an intern at Sandia National Lab in Livermore, California, and we were we were creating <clears throat> excuse me we were creating a system to help to help um, soldiers under, to help the, understand the health of soldiers. And through that, we were kind of like at three o'clock, we usually wanted to get something sugary and we, want, we were just done with the day. And then we decided let's do wall sits. And we just started doing wall sits to, to kind of say, if you think that coding bug is harder, if you think this is frustrating, we'll try to do wall sits and then your life perspective changes. <laughs> Nothing like a little physical discomfort to motivate that. So then, then we didn't do wall sits. And then I didn't do wall sits for a while. And then I came to Indiana, and we were talking about exercise. I had a student who was really into exercise. I'm like, we should do wall sits. Mm-hmm. We used to do wall. We used to, it's called three at three. You do three minutes of wall sits at three p.m. <gasps> okay, three minutes of wall sits. But you can you can you can ease in. You can do. You know, you can do as much as you're as you're willing to do. So yeah, at three o'clock we we come outside of our office and we do wall sits. So communal wall sits. Communal wall sits. People <laughs> join us outside of our group. Stu- our graduate students actually come prepared. They'll come with like a clipboard with like a paper or a study, and they know like they have about a minute and a half to pitch it to me because after two minutes. <laughs> think very straight but in that minute and a half and also you get all the, all the faculty are against the wall so you get all of the faculty there for this three minutes and if anything it's just this group thing my student um ben jellen he took it a step further he has been recording how long everybody does wall sits and we have a google doc showing how many minutes we've wall sat and then now the the broader community knows about this because we started to kind of sponsor um we're not really sponsor we have a, an award we bring um so at kai we've done it during usually during workshops or um, at pervasive health we've done um wall sitting contests and it is amazing how many people will join you for wall sits so i remember doing joining in a wall sit there yes it was tough it's tough it's yeah. tough get to talk to people you're just you're just like just talk to me it's a good networking tool talk to me about anything because i need to get distracted so three at three three at three throw out the challenge that's right (laughs) so any any again any sort of reflections thinking about coming coming to indiana and starting again to set up a, a research group what worked well what would you do differently yeah apart from wall sits Apart from wall sets, I think what worked well was was already having some collaborations uh, with so with the people here. So I already was collaborating um, with them on grants and such. So and I or or I'd written co- in papers with them, or I'd met with them enough at conferences that when I sat down with them, it wasn't like oh let's get to know each other. It was like let's and hit the ground running. And not everybody can do that, but I think it shows how important it is during the job search process to, to see if you can sit down and talk research comfortably with someone and think of just organically think of ways to collaborate that isn't going to require you to wiggle in and be like, Oh, I can sort of do that. Sometimes we don't have, have that luxury and you wiggle in and 
show how you can do that. But I think that's the ideal. So I think hitting the ground running with ideas, with collaborators, with people excited was, um, was pretty helpful. Um, the, the other thing that I thought was um, helpful too was, was having collaborators here that were willing to provide resources to you. So in HCI, especially in health, a huge setup is who are my clinical collaborators? Who mm. communities can I get involved with? And just having having colleagues who are like, oh, I know older adults. Here, you know, here's who I connect with. Just having that ability to come in and not have to go door knocking again. Like uh, Colorado, I went door. I literally knocked on door to door at the University of Colorado in Denver um, and their medical center, finding collaborators. So just mm. not having to door knock. So so showing faculty that you're recruiting, that you have the resources to help them um, get those collaborations. Things, um, I, and then the other thing I appreciated too was that when we, when we came, our program, our graduate program is fairly flexible. So we got to define our course program. Um, so what skills do our students need to be successful in research and afterwards? So we got to sit down and define that. So then you can say, oh, it's not like you're going to take this course because you have to take this course because it's a requirement. It's like you're taking these courses and here's how you're going to get publications along the way. So that was great. Um, in terms of things I would change in the transition, research-wise, I don't know if there's much I would change research-wise. Mm -hmm. I think everything that I would change is more kind of life and structural, you know, um, yeah. and community and like, I think, I think the hardest part um, in the change was I knew my research community, um, but recreating since, and since we don't have family here, recreating that whole support structure for ourselves and our family. That was, that was harder than we thought. Um, and it still remains to be a struggle a struggle here. So that part is, is difficult. Like, I, I learned a whole lot about healthcare inequality and healthcare access. We don't have it here. Um, uh, so, so I learned a whole lot about, I just assumed it was everywhere. Like as mm. a grad student, you're pretty healthy. It's just, yeah. you, you don't yeah. really go to the doctor. And then I went to Colorado and Boulder, which was a really well off area, not just academia, but industry too lots of healthcare options and then came back to Indiana and I was, and uh, I was like, wait, <laughs> where's my, wait, there's only one dermatologist and she has a year long wait. <laughs> um, so, so um, everything mostly that I would change has been structural and it's kind of difficult to under, to figure out how to fix that part. Yeah. <laughs> but it is part of that thing of when you are, many academics move from city to city and it is that, re-establishing yourself socially and just practically in the community mm. yeah yeah and I think that's the hard part and I I often talk to my new colleagues I think I've been pretty it's kind of hard when you're recruiting someone and great I'm putting it out here now but yeah when you're recruiting someone it's like okay when you come you get to work with us but the bad part is um, our healthcare is not very good. Mm. You'll probably have to go to Indy or they'll ask you to go on a wait list in Chicago, which is four hours away. Like, um, so yeah, it's, it's hard for recruitment. And a mm. lot of times people don't think it's that bad until they get here and they're like, wait. Yeah. 
But also, as you said, when you're healthy as well, you sort of go, oh, yeah, that's okay. And it's only when you need the access to those services that you realise and can appreciate it. Right, yeah. So just talking about health and well-being and the fact that you do research in healthcare, how do you look after your own health and well-being? Yeah, so I'm basically, um, I I know myself pretty well now. I am a uh, goal person. And I have to have a certain amount of investment in it. So to, to keep my own self healthy, um, what I started doing was running. Um, so, and I don't run unless I've invested. So I have to sign up with enough money <laughs> for an event. <laughs> um, and then I'll be like, oh, I have to go running today because if I don't, I'm wasting that money. Um, so I just keep <laughs> signing up for races. And then through my exercise, fortunately, I have, as hard as healthcare is here, I have an excellent doctor. Um, he doesn't take insurance, but he's excellent. Mm. And he'll see me whenever I need it. And so he, through this, I've been getting healthier because I'll talk to my doctor and I'll say, this hurts. He's like, great, you have to go see this person. And if I don't go see this person, I know it'll hurt more and I won't be able to run and then I'll lose that money. Um, everything is based off of this goal setting. Um, and then he was like, you know, if you want to run faster, which I do because, because my husband's like, wait, how long are you going to run? You're like, are you going to help with the kids this weekend? You also said <laughs> that paper do, right? Like, how are we going to balance this? So I want to run faster. So my doctor's like, if you want to run faster, you should go see the nutritionist and she'll help you with your diet. And I'm like, great, run faster, nutritionist, help with that. So, <laughs> so um, that's how I keep myself um, that's how I keep myself healthy is through these goals and a goal that's hard enough that requires me to reach out to the broader healthcare community. Yeah. And the cost of not doing it motivates you or not given that you've already sunk investment into it. That's right. Yeah. Which is interesting about knowing yourself to know that that's what you need. Right. And uh, yeah, I noticed at first I thought, Oh, well, you know, I don't need another race because I did that race and I did fine. So I'll just keep running. And next thing I knew, I was like, Oh, I got a peeper do can't run. Oh, got a grant. Oh, got this student, this event. And I was like, Oh no, I got to sign up for another race. (laughs) But again, like that's great just to know yourself and know that you need to put that in place. Yeah. 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 And I think the other nicer thing too, that would be an interesting study. Uh, The students, my, this, my PhD students I had uh, mentored, um, before I had tenure, like before I had tenure, I was like kids and I barely ran and I was just like kids and work. And Mm. that wasn't very balanced. And I, if I could go back again, I'd sign myself up for a few more races. Um, but beforehand, my students would say to me, I don't want to go into academia. I see you. I don't want to do that. And now my students like, Oh yeah, I think I've, I think I would consider mm-hmm. academia. So I'm like, oh, I think this is a good change. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm being a better model here. Yeah, which is important, isn't it? It is, especially if you want diversity in computing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one thing having your groups with your first generation academics, but you know, first generation students. But then if they're seeing you and going, ah, yeah, no way. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So, so I think, I think, yeah, finding your balance is, yeah, is pretty important. Yeah. So just, just in wrapping up, are there any things that we haven't talked about that you would really like to just talk about or mention while we're here? 
question. I think um, something I'd like to talk about a little bit um, is um, dealing with uh, dealing with illness while you're mm-hmm. while you're um, an academic, and I'm not sure how much of this I'd want to keep, but um, I but I think that would be worthwhile. Yeah. So. Is that in terms of looking after yourself when you when you when you find out that you're sick and giving yourself a break, or are there sort of some general principles that you'd throw out there? So I think um, understanding who to disclose and to what. So so for example, um, there are certain things you're like there are certain things that are absolutely present and everybody sees you do. So when you're pregnant, they know yes. that you're going that you're going to have a child and your life yes. is going to change. Um, something that happened to me here, I had a grand mal seizure during a fire mm-hmm. uh, during, uh, during a fire drill. My colleagues had to pull me out um, into a room for safety because they weren't sure if it was a real fire drill. So lots of people heard, pretty much everybody heard. Right. I had a grand mal seizure and then I had to deal with epilepsy and I couldn't drive for six months. And, um, that, and just recovering from that, I couldn't think very clearly. So I did, I was already, I was already on the Kai PC that year and it was, we were in one of the remote ones and I talked to Judy about it because I had, I had issues with, it was, it's such a simple thing, but when we're in computing, it's hard. I had an issue between switching between screens, just switching between screens. I'd forget what task I was on in a remote PC meeting. You know, you have your PCS screen and you have the Slack and you have all these different screens you have to keep track of. And I would have to have a piece of paper and I'd write it down. What screen am I on and what my task is and, and um, trying to kind of like having a baby is the idea of, or, or a loved one is sick is having enough presence. So people are like, oh yeah, Katie is present and also reliable <laughs> and gets things done. And yet recovering and giving yourself that recovery time. It's a difficult to balance. And then fight. And then the other thing that included, I didn't realize it is the fight for, for um, my rights um, to say, these are the things I need and to get all those roadblocks and then all the time. Um, so when I see a colleague like who's dealing with something, I'll reach out to them and usually they won't take it. I think it's because of the stigma, but it's the idea like, what, what can I help you with? What can I advocate for? So for me, my husband helped me. He was like, Hey, I want all the buildings checked for strobe lights that aren't synced because that's mm-hmm. triggered my, my, my uh, thing. And, and he took that part over for me. But there, when you see a colleague who, who has something, and it's not, and it's not, you know, I have a peeper, um, call me if you need anything or something. It's not that. It's like, what can I help you with? And I really am willing to help you yeah. Yeah. with that and advocate yeah. for you. Oh, and then there's the invisible. So we don't really know we're struggling with it. So you, uh, Geraldine, were incredibly um, brave when you talked about it in your story. Um, so my children are five years apart, not by choice, right? Yeah. And I have a health condition where not only do I miscarry, but my body blood cl- like I, I my body tries to kill myself and the fetus yeah. at the same yeah. time. And um, so there are times you know where I was working on a grant, and then I have to go run to the emergency room because I started having I knew I was pregnant, but I had started having pains, and I knew I knew what was happening, and I'd have to go and get um, 
I would have to go and, and get um, a blood thinner and, and deal with that. Um, so, and uh, it's one of those things where I didn't tell anybody. Like there were times where I was stuck to give a presentation. Um, I, I've given a presentation in Wisconsin while I was miscarrying. I've given a presentation um, to junior faculty about work-life balance while I was um, miscarrying. Um, <laughs> I think that's the ultimate. That's the, uh, that's the ultimate. Uh, I don't, what would you say? Iron? No? Uh, yeah, I think it's ironic, right? Um, but there's those invisible things. And I'm not even sure where to begin talking to. Um, where, like, I, I wish there was somebody like, like a Judy or like you or or um, maybe like me, maybe someone, something to aspire to is a colleague who can, it's an emotional toll, but can hear your, your, um, your invisible issues yeah. that you're dealing with and, and advocate for that help too. Like, oh, Katie, maybe shouldn't, you know, when Katie calls yeah. in for that work-life balance panel saying she can't do it, maybe that's okay. Because I called in and I was like, I don't know if I can do it today. And they're like, you promise. And I was like, great, I will be there. Um, yeah. <laughs> But you didn't feel you didn't feel safe enough in that context to say, you know, I really can't be there for a good reason. Right. Yeah. So I just wore my black mm. pants and and prayed I wasn't <laughs> making a mess. <laughs> wow. Goodness me. Yeah, so I, I think like being I, I think there's a that balance. Like how do you show you're a good colleague and you're there? And then you have that time to recover, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but it's balancing all of these identities and the identity management and what you need to be seen to be doing or what you think you need to be seen to be doing or how you need to be in order to be respected and advance at work, but also just, I don't know, being respecting yourself as well and what you need, as you said. And how we – and how – how we could be supporting each other in different ways if we knew what people were going through. and But how do we create a psychologically safe environment that it's okay for people to say, this is what I'm dealing with at the moment, you know, in my personal life that necess- and in my body that necessarily is impacting my ability to work? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a balance, right? I think, you know, especially, you know, my colleagues who have, who have mental health, mental health, um, mental health concerns that they have to work through. It's, yeah. it's that balance of how do I, how am I supportive? And I would love ideas on how we can be both people, you know, yeah. <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it's not putting it in the departmental or faculty newsletter type of um, disclosure, but how do we, maybe it's setting up, maybe it's setting up trusted networks within our institutions or out across institutions of small groups, people where people can just have a safe space to be real and authentic and to have people to bounce off ideas about how to navigate and negotiate these issues. Because I guess it's different as well. You know, you talked about the extra tensions that going through the tenure process put on where it you made different decisions than what you've made post-tenure about the same issues, you know, when that pressure's gone. And so you know, it's navigating all of those different trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and also having people who support and who are willing to go out there and be like, okay, I'm going to do this this way and to change the changing the culture. Changing the culture. 
and making it okay that it's not a sign of weakness. It's just, it's being human that we all are. Mm. And advocating to administrators that if you allow someone to recover now, they're going mm. to be a stronger colleague, faculty member, contributor yeah. next year or yeah. in two years, yeah. whatever they need. <laughs> and I love that thing about you know, what can I do to help you and support you right now? And that's sort of the definition of compassion, which isn't just empathy, but it's empathy plus action. Mm -hmm. You know, That's right. It, it's seeing and noticing that people are going through stuff and then being prepared to to support them and knowing that that will come around again if we have that sort of, if we can create that sort of culture where we create that that sort of reciprocity and and care. I love that. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. how can we do, how can we do that? Yeah. And we can do it one-on-one. One on one. Each of us can make a decision to do something and it's also, as you said, how do we change the culture? You know, we can do it bottom-up but can we, what can we do? to instill that sort of culture of care more generally mm -hmm. as institutionally recognized and accepted. And, and I, th and community and research community wise, I, I think mm -hmm. we're doing a, we're, we're progressing, in, especially in Kai compared to talking to other colleagues and such, yeah. but right. Institutional and a community oriented and share, sharing resources on how to go about this. We can share yeah. with others. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's a good note to end on that might inspire people just to think about what we can all do to help make that happen. So mm -hmm. thank you for your openness and honesty and just sharing uh, your experiences. It's been great, Katie. Thank you, Geraldine. I appreciate it. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www changingacademiclife.com You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher and you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter and if something connected with you please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently